Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Paul Bradley Carr, author of the new novel, 1414 Degrees. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Sure. Well, if someone hasn't yet heard about your debut novel, 1414 Degrees, how would you describe the novel? <laughs> I would describe it as, it's a good question. I would describe it as, uh, I mean, it's a mystery thriller um, set in Silicon Valley um, about a um, a series of deaths, of mysterious deaths, which at first appear to be um, people dying by suicide, but, but it turns out to be something more sinister. And um, a, a female reporter who uh, sets out to investigate those those deaths and finds herself um, wondering if maybe she's more on the side of the killer than the than the killed. <laughs> well, do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to writing fourteen fourteen degrees? I do, and it's it's sort of a weird one because it's so the story is not based on what I'm about to say at all, but but the impetus for it and the sort of the prompt for it was was uh, an incident that happened, um, man, five or six years ago now, where um, I, my, my girlfriend and I um, are both journalists and we write about tech companies, and in particular, tech companies that are not, uh, not the best behaved people in the world. You know, we write about the seedy and dark side of, te- of, the, of big tech. And we wrote about um, a ride-sharing company who uh, had done lots of horrible things, particularly towards women. And this, and an executive at this company um, announced to a room full of journalists that he thought was off the record that he was going to spend a million dollars to hire other former journalists to investigate my my partner and 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 I and our family um, to try and dig up some dirt to discredit our reporting on them. And he announced this very openly and said, "We're going to hire some reporters. They're going to dig into their personal lives and their families, uh, and we're going to just sort of try and discredit them." And all I could think when I heard this, and it was reported very widely, your listeners can look it up, it was reported, Ben, ben Smith at BuzzFeed broke the story that they had done this. And all I could think when I heard this story is, who are these journalists they're going to hire? Like this idea <laughs> that a, a multi-billion dollar corporation can call up some journalists and say, hey there, um, we're, we're calling from, you know, insert name of company, and we want to, um, we want to hire you to smear other journalists. But it, 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 you know, it's how these weird, interesting seeds of ideas are, you know, the novelist in me or the sort of then at that point would be novelist in me. I, I couldn't help but obsess with this question of who is this reporter that they're going to hire? What, where would your life have to have gone wrong or what crisis would have to be occurring in your life where you might find yourself as a reporter working for a company like this and involved in, in these sort of shady shenanigans? And and that was where my sort of main character came from. And and again, the story, the, the novel is not based on that incident, but it's based on that question of, you know, the, these terrible tech companies exist and what would make somebody who wasn't terrible go to work for one and think they were doing something good and noble in the process? Well, well, as you just mentioned, I mean, you've written about Silicon Valley as a journalist for many years. Do you think the glamorization of startups and technologies is starting to come to an end? Um, I don't know that it's coming to an end, but I think the chickens are coming home to roost in terms of the consequences of that glamorization. Like, I wish I could say that the, the glamorization is coming to an end, but it's sort of a bit like saying is the glamorization of money coming to an end. Sure. And I think we, we go through these cycles where we think, okay, surely now people are going to realize that money is not the, the, the path to happiness or, or and definitely not the path to sort of decency. But I don't think we ever seem to learn that lesson as a, as a species. But But I do think what we're seeing is the consequence of for years, people like Steve Jobs and Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and all these people 
being held up as the sort of the goal. Be, and, and, and kids, in often case, they are kids, but certainly young people being told, you know, you want to mirror these people. You want to be like them. And for years, it was Steve Jobs. It was like, you know, well, yes, he didn't treat people in his life very well. He didn't treat his employees very well. Um, but the upside of that was he started, he, you know, created the world's most influential and biggest company. So therefore it's okay to behave in a certain way. And I think we, I think the lo- the wrong lesson was taken away from people like that. And, and from some of today's kind of icons that the bad treat the you know, the bad behavior is somehow, a, 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 a I don't know what, to, a characteristic of, of, of success versus a side effect of unchecked power and wealth. So. I think we're starting to, I think we're seeing increasingly the consequences of telling these, these sort of young people, break all the laws, you know, this idea of disruption, you know, disrupt the world, break the world, break the laws. Don't worry about it. The rules don't apply to you and you'll be a billionaire one day. Um, you know, I, we're seeing some consequences of that. So I'm hoping the next generation of, of startup founders will take away the lesson of you don't have to behave badly to be successful, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. How how was it writing a novel after writing journalism for the past twenty years? It was it was hard in lots of ways I didn't expect. I knew it would be hard. I mean, I hats off to to career novelists who you know this is my first novel. I, I hope to write many more. But hats off to people who who write a novel consistently every year. It is hard. But what was hard to me was what was surprising to me was how hard it was. I thought because my, I, you know, I know Silicon Valley very well. I've been doing journalism very well. I thought that I could take so much of what I'd seen, you know, in real life with my own eyes and turn it into fiction. And, and a lot of the story elements were there, the scene setting, the characters, they just exist in reality. And I basically realized very early on in the process that what works in real life does not work in fiction. People need to understand the motivation of characters in fiction so deeply versus in real life where we just caricature people all the time. Oh, Elon Musk, yeah, he's a crazy billionaire who's into Bitcoin. That's all we need to know about Elon. Um, but you couldn't put a character like him in a novel without understanding deeply how he came to be that person, what his redeeming qualities are, who he cares about, who he loves. You know, it's, it, so it took me a long time to realize that just because somebody exists in real life, you have to throw them on the page and, that, and everyone will believe it. And similarly with, with plot, what makes sense as a plot in real life, we've seen this through tech, through politics, through all sorts of things in the past few years, you know, real life is often much more unbelievable than fiction in the sense of people behave in ways that if you put it in fiction, people would say, this, this guy has no idea what he's talking about. This, this author is, you know, she's terrible. She doesn't even explain the, like, no one, no one would behave that way in, in real life, but, but there they are behaving that way in real life. So I had to basically learn how to make all these things that were real actually believable and all these people who were real actually believable and and fortunately what i ended up with i think is something which is much better because it isn't just a bunch of things that happen in real life and a bunch of people that exist thrown on a page it is a story crafted from scratch with characters that are created properly etc so but that was hard i just guess as a journalist i assumed oh i'll just put all this and change the names and i've got myself a story and that was a five-year journey of learning how to write novels and hats off to everyone who does it again year in year out because it is hard it is much harder than nonfiction, and I can say that as someone who's published more than a dozen nonfiction books, it it is it is credit to all all novelists. It is incredible the, the worlds they build and the work they do. So, are you working on another Silicon Valley thriller? I am working on another thriller. Um, it is a little bit early to say. So currently, a lot of the thinking is around Silicon Valley in it, but it's a little bit too early to say that it's it's definitely going to be set in Silicon Valley. 
the thing with Silicon Valley is the tentacles of Silicon Valley have reached so far into the world now that you couldn't really write a fashion novel without it being somehow tangential to Silicon Valley. So I think, you know, I, I'm definitely going to write what I know, but but it is very, very early to say what it's what it's about. But but I <laughs> but I will say I'm, I'm you know, I'm very, very excited writing it. It is going a lot quicker. Knock, knock on wood. It's going a lot quicker than the first one, because. As I say, I learn all the. I, I swear, it's five tough years learning how to write a novel, but now I, I think I know what I'm doing for this one. So that's great. Well, in addition to your new novel, you just mentioned that you've written several memoirs and nonfiction books, including the memoir "Sober Is My New Drink." I'm curious, how did you stop drinking, and did you figure out your own path, or do the Alcoholics Anonymous? Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Yeah, so I um, no, I figured out my own path, I, and and that was sort of you know a lot of what I write about in the book is 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 how I figured out my own path. Not that I have any particular issue with uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, only that it didn't work for me. And I think um, you know what I wanted to tell people in the book was if you go to some AA meetings and, and you find they don't work, that doesn't mean sobriety doesn't work. That just means you know maybe that's not the right way for you to quit and. Um, no, I quit, but so, you know, I was a, I've been a journalist for, for sort of 20 something years. And for the first sort of 10 years of my career in my, when I was in my twenties, um, I, um, and, and sort of right up to my thirties, basically, I, um, I wrote a lot of columns about going to parties and doing kind of crazy things with, with often with internet billionaires and stuff. And I I just got sucked into this whole party lifestyle. But the problem was it, it, the drinking became my my kind of calling card, the themes of my column. So quitting wasn't, didn't just feel like quitting something that was killing me. It quit. It felt like also quitting my career. So, so what I ended up doing was quitting in a very sort of public and open way. Again, the antithesis of Alcoholics Anonymous, I was very non-anonymous with it because I realized if I'm going to quit drinking, I have to make this my new thing. I have to make being sober the equivalent of, you know, my being drunk. It, It gave me a career. It gave me all these opportunities, bizarrely. So I basically made a career out of being sober and, and writing about that for a, for a good while. Um, and, and that's where the book came from. But, but I was surprised how many people who did quit via Alcoholics Anonymous were quite angry at the book. I think they felt a bit like I was 
that, that because Alcoholics Anonymous was so life-changing for so many people, mm-hmm. that if I was telling people not to do that, then somehow that might, that might put people off getting sober. And I mean, judging by the feedback I've had from the book, and I've had hundreds of emails, more than I've had for any other thing I've ever written, um, you know, about from people getting sober after the books, it, it is about, you've got to find your own path. Lots and lots of people have quit with Alcoholics Anonymous and lots have quit without. So whatever works, you know, getting sober has saved my life. So whatever works for anyone else who needs to do that. Well, well, after your five years of learning to write a novel, as you, as you mentioned earlier, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories or novels? Oh, man. Uh, that is, <laughs> I wish, oh, wow, wow. I had so many amazing advisors and I listened. So what I will say, and this sounds a little self-serving and, and sort of pandering, but I will say listening to writing podcasts was one of the biggest things that I, I did. And it sounds so silly. It's like, well, and by the way, probably most writers are listening to writing podcasts, especially especially yours, Jeff. But but but, but I will say, listening to to podcasts from writers, especially writers who were just writing their first or so, so second novel, and understanding how not diff, how how non different their experience was. I think we we look at people like you know I don't know Stephen King or or whoever, and sort of uh, you know we, we I can never be like him. Well, okay, but most writers are just sitting down at their keyboard every day, feeling the same uncertainty. The same, you know, I don't know if I can do this um, and wanting to give up that, that a lot of early writers are feeling. And the fact is, it, it, it's supposed to feel like that. That's what I say often to writers when they feel stuck. It's like, it, that's, this is how it's supposed to feel like. If it, if it wasn't hard, everybody would be writing and publishing books every day. It's really hard. That doesn't mean you're not good at it. That means it's really hard. Um, anybody who gets good in a profession will tell you that it is hard even when you get good at it. Even actors going on to stage for their 500th performance are still nervous still feel like they might forget their lines and sometimes do like so i just think listening to writing podcasts and, and just talking and meeting other writers who will who who feel just as real and normal as you are and as as flawed as you are is is my best advice because as i think again you being a writer is to feel like a failure every time you sit down at the keyboard sometimes so it's supposed to feel like that it is hard and just keep going and this is i gave up on this novel probably i think twice like meaningfully twice where I was like, I, you know, I can't do it. I'm, I'm in a corner. I can't do it. I went away, got some coffee, came back the next day and lo and behold, I could do it again. So you just got to keep going, keep going and, and listen to writing podcasts because they'll make you feel like there's millions of us out there trying to do this job. That's good advice. Well, what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Oh, now this is a good question. I, I Every time anyone asks me this, I always freeze because I just suddenly every book I've read read in my life has been forgotten. I tell you what I'm rereading at the moment, and just to the point I just made about other writers, I'm rereading, um, let me think who it's by, John Curran's book, Agatha Christie's uh, Secret Notebooks. He's the, 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 this, this not, it's nonfiction, obviously, and it's basically, he's just collected together and, and, um, and, and sort of annotated Agatha Christie's notebooks. And what's incredible about it is Agatha Christie is the genius's genius when it comes to writing, obviously, um, crime and, and mystery novels. But it is amazing reading her notebooks, how her thought process feels very similar to my own and very similar to most writers. She's just writing down ideas. And then every so often, we'll just switch them out and say, you know, no, this is terrible. Like that sort of self-doubt. And it's like, you're Agatha Christie. This is your five, you know, 55th novel. And she's like, terrible idea, scribbles it out. And then, and, and I think just again, realizing that it, it is, it, that no, none of these people are superheroes. Uh, it's a hugely engaging book. And if you love Agatha Christie, you'll love it. In terms of novels, man, I'm I'm just devouring um, crime novels at the moment. I've just cracked open Neil Stevenson's new one, 
uh, termination shock. I'm a page in, so I can't tell you if it's good or bad, except I started re, re- I've, I read it because obviously, you know, Facebook is now talking about the metaverse as if they, as if they invented this idea of the metaverse. And I wonder if they'll I, have the same success as second life. Well, exactly. I wrote, I wrote a book on the second life. This is what's so hilarious. Is I, wrote the, the, I, just, uh, I don't uh, think there's a burning desire for people no, the metaverse. No, no yeah. there isn't. It's not. But it's a, you know what? It's a great way, Jeff, is it's a great way if you're having really bad news, if lots of people are writing about your company in negative ways, to suddenly conjure up this imaginary universe. True, with true. Yeah. We're all talking about it. But I do think it's interesting looking at at fiction when it comes to uh, particularly sort of science fiction and fiction, sort of techno fiction, where you realize how much of the stuff that is being, quote unquote, invented today is people like Mark Zuckerberg grew up reading Neil Stevenson or reading some of these things and just thought that would be cool. Like flying cars that, that, that Travis Kalanick is obsessed with or was when he was still at Uber, was obsessed with building for Uber. That's, a, that's straight out science fiction. That isn't a good idea. No one needs a flying car. But it's something they had in their head of like, that's the ultimate, you know, the video calling, Zoom, things like that. It's all stuff that people took out of sci-fi, took out the Jetsons or Back to the Future or things like Neil Stevenson and or Arthur C. Clarke. And just, uh, you know, Elon's, Elon Musk's obsession with going to Mars. That's straight out of sci-fi. There's no logical reason to go to Mars except that it's in sci-fi. So it's so funny sometimes to read um, fiction about, uh, about sci-fi, but also fiction about tech and, and realize how much of the stuff that we paint as genius today is just people trying to make a thing they read about in a book. And I forget, I'm struggling now. There was a, 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 a novelist recently, a very famous one, and I'm annoyed I'm blanking his name, who said he's now very careful when he writes fiction about tech not to include anything that if an, a sort of an idiot tech founder were to discover, they would think it was a good idea to build. Like he's like, I'm very worried about doing cautionary tales now because some idiot will will make it. It's it's terrifyingly true. Yeah, yeah. Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your books and your latest um, novel? So I, uh, my website is the easiest place, paulbradleycar.com. I'm on Twitter as Paul Bradley Carr. Um, and then obviously all the all the usual bookie places you can you can buy the you can buy the book or, or libraries, etc. So no, I'd love to hear from people if if anyone, I'm always I'm very responsive on Twitter and, and email and stuff. So I'd love to hear from people if they if they enjoyed the book or, or didn't. <laughs> Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Paul Bradley Carr, author of the new novel, 1414 Degrees. The book is on sale now. So go buy a copy. And Paul, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you so much, Jeff. This is really fun. Okay, great. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.